Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is not a diving podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, episode 49, nearly done 50. That was a lot of weeks to be doing this for. About this time last year that I started really putting it together in detail, started recording some episodes, so we had a few in the bag before we got started. And yeah, it's a undertaking for sure, but a lot of fun. I have to say, I've really enjoyed doing it this year and enjoying planning the development of it for next year too so yeah thanks for listening whether you're a new listener or whether you're a long time vet of the show thanks to all of you who are supporting us on patreon if you're not doing that already then you can do it's patreon.com slash scuba official there's a couple of different options there which are both pretty reasonably priced and enable us to do what we're doing here basically there's a really nice community of people in the discords as well who are either supporting or just listeners actually you don't have to be a supporter to get into the discord so that's hotflushrecordings.com slash discord if you want to get in there and talk to me about anything talk to anyone else any other listeners it's also a hot flush discord as well so anything that we're doing on the labels and that kind of stuff yeah that is the place that is the place. Just before we get started, God, I've, always, I've already been rambling for two minutes. Just before we get started, I played Watergate the other week. I forgot to mention it last week on the show. It was a really fun party. I really like that club. It's great. I've been lucky enough to play Burkhine a lot over the years, and therefore my opportunities to play at other places in Berlin have been limited. But Watergate really has great sound in that upstairs room, particularly. Really does sound awesome in there. And yeah, we had a fun party, played some pretty clippy techno and 
people had a good time. I certainly had a good time. Yeah, it was awesome. And thanks to the people who came, especially from the UK as well, to come to it. A few people there came and said hello. So that was great. And just one more note to say that on New Year's Eve, I'll be in Toronto, Toronto, <laughs> to play Subdivision, which is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. I haven't played a New Year's Eve show in a few years. And I played for the Subdivision guys not that long ago. I think it was this year. That they haven't been open for that long, in fact. But I had a really good time with them when I was there last time. And I think I'm the first person to be asked back to their party. So that's really nice of them. And I hope I'm going to do it justice. I'm going to have to prepare for that set, do some serious prep work. Because the New Year's Eve set is uh, something different. I'm playing all night as well. So that'll be good fun. Good fun. So check me out and check my socials for ticket details and all that stuff. And um, yeah, if you're in Toronto, that's not even the right way of saying it, is it? I I don't know. If you're there, then come out and have a dance for New Year's Eve. It's going to be a lot of fun. Anyway, right, this week on the show, we have someone who is involved in the industry in a few different ways. He's certainly a DJ of some repute, but he's also a club owner and someone who sort of a kind of creative director previously of clubs too. And we haven't really had anyone on the show like that. We've had like promoters but never had anyone who actually owns a venue or is like that responsible for a venue. So David Marlin, first of all, was running Bob Beeman, which is a club in Munich, which I played a couple of times and was great, a smaller venue. And he now runs Blitz also in Munich. And like his approach to it is just very distinctive in the sense that he has a really, really strong attention to detail in the way he designs the layout of the venues that he runs, lots of attention to the sound, to the sound of the whole room, to the dance floor, to the layout, to the DJ booth. He really takes it extremely seriously. So playing at his clubs is always a pleasure. I played at Blitz recently and it was great. It was the first time I've been there and it was great. Um, Bob Beeman was, as I said, really good too. So yeah, he's a really interesting guy thinks deeply about all that stuff and he's also a great DJ so yeah just a great person to have on the show really all round so if you're not going to do the Patreon thing that's all good leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to this podcast whichever platform you're on follow the Spotify playlist which contains lots of music that we talk about on the show and join us in the Discord as I said hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord so without further delay Wow, this has been a long intro, six minutes. Oops. Without further delay, here is David Mwalem. David Mwalem, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. What's going on? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, pretty okay. I was just in hospital for a week, but it's a good thing, not a bad thing, which is a rare case when being in hospitals, but I'm slowly healing and getting better and in general i'm pretty good i have to say excellent i'm glad to hear it so how are you i wanted to i i'm good as well thank you yeah uh we didn't um our paths didn't cross when i was at blitz the other week i was disappointed not to see you but uh, i had a great time at the club i have to say it was, it was awesome my first time there so um congratulations on having such a great venue thank you so much 
And um, so basically, I think the first thing I wanted to talk about actually was the well you're, you're the first person we've had on the show who is involved directly involved with the running of a venue and we've a kind of a hot topic of discussion last few weeks has been the the, the pressures that are well what, what i would perceive to be pressures on venues with regards to you know rising costs and changes in audience patterns coming out of the pandemic and that kind of stuff so i was yeah, I wanted to kick off with just to get a, you know, a kind of bird's eye view of where you kind of feel the that kind of side of the industry is at the moment. Obviously, you know, you can use your uh, venue as an example, but where how do you feel it is, like, at, at a general level? I mean, it's a really, like, demanding time right now, but I think also really interesting time because, like, because of the pandemic and lots of things changing, of course, there's lots of new challenges, thing, things you got to like incorporate into your thinking process when working on a, on a venue, on a club. But I always try to think of these as positive things, as challenges, as change. You know, I don't, if things would stand still and there wouldn't be dynamics in, in things. I might lose interest, so I see things pretty positive. But it's an interesting time. You know, the pandemic is kind of over, but uh, you can see effects. I have to say Blitz is going really, really well. And I hear stories from other parts of the planet where, where like, like venues and festivals struggle with ticket sales. Um, we don't have that. We, we have a really good year past us. We opened in March and but there's just i mean there's a lot of lots of changes happening in the industry and I, I i i caught myself in a position where i was kind of complaining also a lot about changes things that i didn't like so much and so on but i realized in general i'm a very positive person and i always think it's my responsibility to design the little microcosm cosmos that i'm in in a way that suits me and push things in the right direction. So, I mean, it's a very broad question, you know, because challenges, I mean, there's obvious financial challenges, um, rising energy costs. Um, and also when you try to run a place and not focus on just the economic side of things, which is really important to me because if I just want to make money, I would do something else. I still believe in something and have an idea about things and try to push things forward. So I think in general, when you look at the past 10, 15, 20 years, the industry has changed a lot. It became a multi-billion dollar global industry. And there's obviously lots of things that, bust my balls or just just <laughs> I think okay that's not what it's about because like the driving thing for me is it should be about music you know and when I realize that things are not so much about music anymore but much more about business it kind of stresses me but I, I realized it's 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 better to focus on the things that give me positive energy and try to push things in the right direction just for me and my little microcosmos and stay away from the things i don't like 
<laughs> right. Okay. Well, um, let, well, let me ask you uh, a couple of specific things, which may be on the negative side. <laughs> so, so um, firstly, with with regards to like rising costs, and you mentioned energy costs, like how much of that? How, how, well, how, how far has has that affected the running of the club? Because I mean. Um, at, a, at, a, at a kind of distance, it seems to me that like a lot of smaller venues, that is like you know less than a thousand cap venues, are must be facing pretty serious like, pressures with that stuff. So how how much of that is a is a kind of growing concern for you? I mean, energy costs are a concern, but right now I have actually no fucking clue because the thing is. Um Right now, the costs are still the same, basically. You know, we pay, we pay in advance, and then after a whole year, our landlord gives us basically, you know, the, the invoice for the past year with the exact, you know, amounts we have to pay. And right now, in Germany, you know, there's a lot of lots of, like, funding programs from the states to reduce rising energy costs, you know, but it still didn't pass parliament. So it's really hard to say. Right now, the energy costs didn't affect... Uh, our business so much but i think we will see the change by the beginning of next year but it like right now i really it's really hard for me to estimate uh, how it looks like what i can say for example that like travel costs uh, since we started again operations in march this year travel costs had a rise in between three to four hundred percent which is a lot wow it's it's really really, really? a lot yeah it's crazy um, yeah. um, and then you know this combined with I mean talking about the negative things it's like I I, I always have the feeling or not even a feel it's not even a feeling it's like for me it's a fact that you know it's you know I ha had these hopes during the pandemic that you know that the I always see these like different players in the game. You know, you have the artists, you have the the venues, the clubs, you have the management companies, you have the booking agencies, etc., etc. And basically, that all have to work together on bringing the ecosystem back up again. And then I had this feeling, like when all started again in March, that nothing had changed. You know, that like you try to book travel really early to avoid costs, and then like agencies hit you up with like uh, travel invoices two days prior to a show with like crazy costs, and you know, like just like kind of not giving a fuck or like not caring about like the issues other people have, and which is kind of like stressing me out at some times, but. Um, the um the general like the cost that really got higher is like travel and all these extra costs that really like hotels got way more expensive um shuttles to and from the airport got way more expensive we're talking about double the price here which you know you you, you could say okay like in munich is a really special example because the airport is far out so um we're talking about like uh, uh it used to be 60 euro one way to get an art sh shuttle an artist from the airport to the to the city and back so one way was 60 euros so two way 120 and now it's like 80 euro which you know it's you could say it's only 20 it's co cost, it's, it's co right? you could say it's only 20 euros but that's how this whole business works you know it's like for every artist every weekend you know 100 160 euros back and forth and this times like sometimes we're 15 artists a weekend or like eight artists 
you know it's 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 kind of a lot of money and like the margins in this business are so so tight that you know you really have to take care of all these little things and you know it's like i don't believe in like getting like the the, the, the you know when you're like a tax accountant and you have rising costs for rent <laughs> yeah. and blah 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 for anything you know you know your your customers you know your clients depend on you so you get like your 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 hourly rate up higher and you know people just still have to work with you but you know mm. when you when running a club you know i also feel the responsibility to run a club that is ex accessible to everyone that doesn't exclude people by financial status so you know like of course costs are getting higher so entry fees are getting a bit higher drink costs are getting a bit higher but uh, i don't have so much you know i don't have so much i can't play around so much and p get so much like pricier more expensive because um I, it's really important for me to include everyone you know so mm, it's yeah. not an easy game right now but um the vibe is really great and the parties are amazing and this is what what keeps us going actually you know okay there's a few questions come out of that really i mean from well as i said uh from the perspective of running a, a small venue which takes music extremely seriously like that what, what you just described must put some pressure on the uh well it must must apply some extra pressure on the need to fill the club every week. I mean, you've you said earlier, you said before that um, that you haven't had any trouble filling the club, which is great. And if you're able to, you know, just sort of juggle the economics to make it work with the uh, the changing prices and changing overheads and that kind of stuff, then that's 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 well, that's, that's a an enviable position to be in. I think probably for a lot of venues around Europe. So, I mean, have you? I mean, in, in your conversations with other people, are you aware of a broader problem with smaller venues? I mean, when I talk to other people from like running clubs or venues in like Amsterdam or Paris or London, what I heard in the past half year was always the thing is that like ticket sales are just went down a bit. Um, and I'm not talking like the, the, the clubs are empty or the parties are bad or anything. It's just, you know, like there's 15, 20% less people. I mean, obviously every city or every, like there's always a different context. Like take Berlin, for example. In Berlin, you always had like a lot of club tourism and a lot, lot, lots of this club tourism was based on, on, on cheap travel. So you have a lot of like club tourism in Berlin and you know because like cheap travel is not so much available available anymore the budget travel lots of people can't travel anymore so this has i'm sure this has some effect you know on a, on a lot of venues because like as i said i think in this business the margins are really really tight so like losing like 10 15% ticket sales you might still still end up in having like packed venues packed parties and a great vibe but just not enough to cover all these costs, you know? And the costs are just, like, at all ends. It's just, you know, you, you have a lot of costs, basically. It's, like, super detailed little things, you know, like, that that come together that people wouldn't expect, you know? So, um, but I didn't hear from, like, specific venues that, like, really told me they have to, to, to shut down. And I think... 
especially after the pandemic, you know, I think during the pandemic, I would have expected that lots of places will have to close down and, 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 and go bankrupt. But I didn't, I mean, did you hear of so many clubs that, that like did exist before that no, you played at? Like, I didn't hear so much of like places that like, Sure. I think what, what what you what you mentioned about how your costs are sort of deferred to an extent, I think probably is the case for quite a lot of venues across Europe. And there may be over the next year or two a kind of what 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 that's my kind of thesis anyway, uh, is that there may be a wave of like pressure that comes uh that, that small venues come come under as a result of inflation eventually filtering through to their headline costs that they have to pay on a kind of month-to-month basis. But I mean, but you're, you're right to say that thus far, and sort of fingers crossed on this, like there hasn't been a kind of, yeah, a kind of mass shutting of venues. And, and I absolutely hope that that stays the case. Um, let me ask you another question, though, sort of relating to uh, attendances. Like... One of the kind of hypotheses that people put forwards about the kind of changing nature of, of the audience is that you know festivals have become more important to people and small clubs have come under pressure as a, as a result of that. I mean, is that something which holds any water, do you think, for you? Um, I mean, it like I mean, I think festivals can put a lot of pressure on fest on on clubs and the whole club and and like let's call it underground scene, but like. Uh, let's refer to the chat you had with Steffi some weeks ago to the podcast you did with her. I, I think you both talked about the term underground. I was listening to that, yeah, right, which yeah. was a really nice show. So I don't, I'm not sure if this is what we think is underground exists. You know, we all try to, to make a living with things. So let's not get into the term underground. But I think festivals have some, because it's a very competitive market. And then you have, like, I think, like, it became so super professional everything that you know every artist starts like tr- is trying to like build strategically a brand and become bigger and bigger and maximize like turnover and if you want to maximize turnover you have to play festivals and 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 then festivals locally work with a lot of like uh, um, exclusivity deals and so on so so lots of like bigger profile artists don't play at, at, at smaller venues and so it has some effect but still you know I could concentrate on all these like negative effects and the pressure it puts on you but on the other hand it's like the festival and, and like let's call it the big game business you know it's, that's not how I roll anyway you know for me it's not so much a business I mean I make a living with it and of course it's a business but in the very end i run things out of passion and out of because i really love music and i love partying and all that so it's really important for me to create something that you know has some effect on people on a broader level and not just by um by spectacles you know let's call it spectacles another show here another event here you know like the, the interesting i think like i think what what's interesting in a club is that you can build like a kind of like social and cultural sphere every weekend week by week you know and that you build a crowd that trusts you and comes for the music and um so uh, uh i think when you follow this approach 
and you in it with your heart i think there's you know i mean you can always blame other things for your success or for your, or like, your failure, uh, yeah, failure sure. you know Absolutely. But, you know but it's 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 this is always my rule in life you know like never you know like you know like if 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 i'm successful i'm successful because of the way i do things and if i fail I'm failing because of the way I do things. I don't try to project so much on other clubs, uh, other festivals. Sure. Like, I mean, I, I think competition is a very good thing in a local setting just be, to, to bring a certain local context alive, you know, to bring life to, to things, you know, and, 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 and get people interested. But in general, I just try to do my thing and try to do it as good as possible. And when I fail, just to get up again. So yeah, I used to, to, to have a lot of thought about these things, but I realized it's just, for me, it's a dead end, you know, because it just sucks so much of my energy and positivity. I just try to concentrate on what I'm doing and doing it as good as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you about something uh, that you mentioned in a in a prior interview, I think, which you gave a few years back just after Blitz or fairly soon after Blitz had opened, I think it was. And you were talking about the the way in which you promote individual parties at the venue. And um, so I, I want to get into the kind of your route into into Blitz through Bob Beeman and all that stuff. But just just keeping this specific for a moment. um what you were saying was that there was a change and that you had to, I think that the quote was, you had to build a story around each individual party and how that was maybe a shift from just having a, a much more of a kind of like a, a longer term kind of linear structure around the narrative surrounding the venue. So you can tell me a little bit, a little bit about that. Um, yeah, it's like, the thing is, I came from, from you just mentioned Bob Beeman, the club I was running before. And it was a really, I mean, you remember it, it was a really small venue, just one small dance floor. And that's basically it. Like 98% of the club was just this dance floor and the sound system. And it was like, a, I don't know, 200, maximum 250 people capacity. And so it was way easier to fill the club. And then if I think back, the times were really different because like I think when, when Bob Beeman started... Facebook just started, you know. It's like I think right. I, okay. I, I think yeah. I started my my um, first Facebook profile just around the time when Bob Beeman started. So it was just the beginning of social media, and you know, I, I just when I started, I came from a time where you just you know did monthly flyers with artworks, and in my dream life or my in my in my in my my personal utopia of running a club i wouldn't announce any lineups anyway you know it's like if i could i, I wouldn't announce anything just okay we are open it will be good music trust us and then just take it from there um i was trying that at sometimes and uh, i just had a recent chat with carlos valdes from is who's running is burning in amsterdam and they never announce lineups and their parties are always i just played there for ade and and for pride in july and their parties are always super packed they have amazing lineups and they don't announce anything i still think about going into that direction for specific parties but when i started blitz you know i just you know, we didn't do any advertisement because I, I, I'm, I was, I'm just kind of idealist. And I was like, 
okay, it didn't work so much with Wabima, now I'm having this new place, and it's a huge place with two dance floors. I mean, let's let's try and just put a monthly lineup there and not do any social media. So this is basically what we did. We just published our monthly lineup on social media. And it didn't work so well. Like the first 18 months were like really a tough time at Blitz. And we had amazing parties from the beginning, but we also had like a lot of like fails, a lot of parties that were, that were just empty. And But uh, I mean, I think there's lots of reasons for that and not only because the, the, the way we did marketing, but then I, I was trying to rethink things and like, because I'm, you know, with every day I get older, the more I kind of like try to, I see really the bad things that social media or the effects social media have and try to get away with it. And these, this thinking process started when I started Blitz and my dream was like to not do any advertisement and so on. And then we were building this team and I was like, had this idea in mind that like if you treat every party, like every party has a narrative and the narrative starts once you put the party out into the world and this happens via social media most of the time um so i had to say i was like just talking to my team and i was like let's try and build a story around every single party we do with like because like there is actually a story behind every party like the people we invite the musical idea we have and so on and so on and so on so i mean it sounds a bit cheesy and maybe a bit over the top but if you approach it this way and even if only by talking to the people you're working with like i think you know you put like kind of a different energy into the universe with promoting this party and so basically once we start we finalize a party and we have an idea for it i try to like create this narrative until the party happens which is not so easy because basically when you promote parties every Friday and Saturday and then have special like uh, bank holiday parties and so on and so on, you know, it's like you can't, it's, it's a different thing than when you do throw five parties a year. Like I throw about 150 parties a year, which doesn't make it so easy to like give every single party this attention, but at least the approach should be to, to, to try and give as 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 much attention as possible to every event yeah actually just to clarify for people who aren't aware so you do all the bookings in-house right at blitz we do all the bookings in-house um there is basically just one external promoter called world league we are working or i am working with for like over 15 years now maybe 20 and 15 years i'd say and but even there it's like um it's it's a long term term collaboration and we know each other for so long and so even there it's i mean we never rent out the venue to someone and just do like do whatever you w want it's basically we have this one exception for an external promoter but the the lineups and everything is like discussed with us every time and it's i think this is I mean, this is basically a decision you make, no? It's like, do you want to run an event space or do you want to run a music yeah. club, you know? And if you want to run a music club, you should have a music policy, an idea about music and an idea what you want in that club and what you don't want and what you think is fitting and so on and so on. So I think having 100% control over this is the most important thing for me. 
Yeah, I mean, as you were saying that, I was just reflecting on, you know, other small venues and the different approaches they take. And, you know, having that degree of control, I think must be, like, particularly in an environment where, you know, things are challenging. Like having a high degree of control and having a, you know, a team of, you know, talented and, and passionate people who have a very clear sort of artistic idea about what they want to do must be an advantage, I guess. If I mean, obviously, it's completely dependent on having the right team, but you can say that about anything, right? So, so just in the in the context of your sort of like the the, the success that you've had coming out of the pandemic, that must have been a key factor, I think. Is that a fair comment? Do you think? Do you mean that the success coming out of the pandemic or? Well, I think, well, I'm using that as an example of a kind of like situation in which that that kind of way of doing things must have been advantageous. But I think, I mean, I think it's, it's probably an advantage regardless if you have the right people doing it. I think like, um, I think there are many venues which which I play at and, you know, the venues that I know in London and other places which are, you know, great little clubs, but are just inconsistent and then, you know, kind of, I guess, lose the kind of control of their own narrative, if you see what I mean, you know? So I think maybe maybe this is a, an inherent advantage, but it must be difficult to build a team which is capable of delivering that sort of approach to a venue. I think this is one of the hardest tasks in every endeavor, to be honest, like building a team and like, especially after the pandemic, this was the, because like we were, we were ending up with having no team basically. And after the pandemic, I was like, just like 15 years ago, I was doing everything myself from accounting, like me and my partner, but like from accounting to uh, marketing to like the booking to artist care to being there at night it was like really like working 24 7 and at the same time bringing new people in and building a team um i think this is one of the toughest challenges but i think you know when it's like i think with everything you do if you are passionate about something and you share your passion you will always find people who share the same passion and are up for it, you know? And, and, and I think this is the most important thing, getting people on board about an idea you have. Yeah, and I yeah, think absolutely. That, then it makes things way easier, you know? Yeah, totally. So, okay, let's, um, let's step back a bit and then and go back to kind of your journey into this. Because, I mean, we first met when you were doing Bob Beeman and I came to play for you guys. But what was your journey into being in that position in the first place um it was basically just a coincidence i was um i was studying in london and then moved to new york and i was in new york for like i think if i remember right 18 months or something like nearly two years and then i i went back to munich to um And I always wanted to go back to New York and I never had the idea of running clubs. And uh, um, I mean, I told a story actually many times in interviews, but for me, like, like I always had this, like, I mean, this is a very 90s or early, like club culture days, like notion of club owners. But I always had this idea of, my, of in mind of these like coked up 
club people that count money in a really dark room at seven in the morning <laughs> and i was like i don't know 15 years old and i started djing when i was 15 so these were exactly the people that like when after a whole night and back in the days you know how it was you played a long time you played kind of all night and then you ended up in this office at like sure. six in the morning with a strange guy counting money And giving you life, and giving you giving <laughs> giving you life lessons, you know, and like co co wow, that giving, that is that is. I've, we all I've have this memory, you know. We all have it, you know. And it's like <laughs> I hadn't thought about that yeah, for so yeah, long. Because though. it's That's so just over, but you know, back, back in the days, it was all in cash. You know, you had to bring your invoice, and you were in this room, and you were super <laughs> yeah. tired, playing for six to eight hours, you know. And then there was this guy giving you life <laughs> lessons, and you're like, oh, hey, you're so coked up and high. Just give me my money. I just want to go home you know <laughs> and they just held back giving you the money just to have like like kind of an audience they could talk to you know <laughs> so in this, yeah, yeah. and this this i always had this like um this so this was like for me like running a club never had this like creative which was like kind of stupid to me it was i was kind of like narrow-minded but i never had this like kind of like approach to it hey this can be a really creative thing but like i never 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 thought about or it was never my mission to open venues or clubs or whatever like i was producing music back then i wanted to make it as a dj and so on and so on and then i moved back i was actually just got back to new york and tried to sort my artist visa to go back to the states and then um something negative in my life happened my stepdad got diagnosed with lung cancer and i wanted to support a family so i told them like um hey um, i'm staying for three months out of these three months turned into two years um that i stayed back in munich after being away for like 10 or 11 years um and and then right before like fortunately then my stepdad died and like i made new plans to go back to new york or just move somewhere else i didn't know it yet And then out of nothing, these guys who were running like this kind of she-she bar, like dance bar thing in Munich approached me and were like, hey, um, we heard you in Munich and we want to open a club and we, th we think you know a lot about club culture and music and we're still looking for a musical director. Wow, so they just offered you the job like straight up they basically and the thing is the, the club was not like it wasn't like a venue where someone left a position and they're looking for someone new it's like the, 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 the Bob Beeman didn't exist at the time mm. so I approached in a way I didn't know what to do with my life and I had this two year gap where like everything changed in my life and I didn't I was so stranded I didn't know what to do and like should I look for a job should I continue DJing you know I was like just focusing on the family for two years so I approached it in a way I was like put all on one card and I looked at them and it was like obviously they didn't know anything about club and music culture they were just not into it they were just people who were like had this venue and they were had like funds to like build a club so I was like okay I'd kind of I want to be more than a music like I want to be more than a booker I want to I could work on building like a brand, a club, like from sound system design to everything. Okay, let me let me stop you there for a sec because that's quite a lot, yeah. right? So so how did you how had you acquired 
the vision? I mean, what did you? What I mean, you, you mentioned that you've been DJing and you've been going to clubs and stuff. Can you be a little bit more specific about what the key kind of uh, the, the key bits of experience that you'd acquired to get to that point where you were able to think in those terms? Oh, it's really hard to answer because it's like I'm like mingling or running around clubs since I'm 14 years old. Mm. Yeah. It's just a sphere like nightlife and music culture. It's like this whole thing. It's just I'm in this since I'm 14 years old and I just I just feel like until today I just feel super comfortable being at parties, talking to people, listening to music, dancing. It's it's just my life, you know. So but I I never had this like concrete vision where I was like, I have this dream club and this is how I want to build it. Like, this wasn't like that. I was just, right. I got, they offered it to me out of nothing. And then, I mean, I remember, I mean, it's so long ago, but I remember vaguely, I was kind of like, I started getting into sound and sound systems at the time or like pre- a couple of years earlier. It like happened actually because I had a friend I grew up with in Munich and he opened a club in Berlin in 2002 which was called Weekend. Ah oh, yeah. He left the club after three he left the club after two or three years but especially in the first two years um it was um a really an amazing amazing club with an amazing music policy it turned like into shit like after or not into shit it sounds it's, it's very arrogant of me to say but not like turned into something that's not so much my thing you know it turned a bit into more sure i I remember going there in about 2000 and i went there in like 2007 2007 or 2008 and it was it was pretty good i mean i I remember watching robert henker i think play there maybe around then and it was like i mean it was an amazing venue i mean it looked amazing the venue was amazing it was like they first started with a club on the 12th floor and then they added another dance from the 15th floor and then it's like roof terrace it was like so at the time it was an amazing place and he was like i was like like i think i met Atta from robert johnson the first time when i was 15 or 14 i was like dealing with sneakers i don't even know how i got to this and he was running <laughs> the he was running this um um he was working at, at delirium record store in frankfurt and he was working with uh alma who until today runs uh, uh, uh she was running with with uh, alex just like um, i don't know, forgot the name of the booking agency um but they were running this booking agency together until today they're like into booking and i sold them sneakers so that there was this connection and then my the friend i grew up with was also connected to to these people and so oscar the guy who started weekend club started getting into sound systems and told like asked atta like i really love the sound system at robert johnson can you help me blah 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 and so because of this story, I started to get a bit into sound systems. And at the time, there was this club in Munich called Erste Liga, and I was running, throwing parties there once a month. And I invited Daniel Wang to one of these parties. And he was really into like sound systems and sound system design. And he once wrote, like, I think 15 years ago or longer, he wrote this like online essay about sound system design for clubs. And like very like based on the early ideas of Paradise Garage and and all these people and Larry Levan and how they built on the loft and how they did these sound systems. And then it started and I was really getting into sound systems, like the effect it it has on people. And when you DJ, you play on a massive sound system, how different it is. And I was really frustrated at the time, first of all, because Munich didn't have 
any good sound system at the time, not a single one, to be honest. And then also, like, I always traveled a lot and went to parties all over the world. And, like, I even realized that some places have these amazing sound system brands, but the sound sounds like shit, you know? Right, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, they have, had, you know, it's like, like, in my mind, I, I made up this story. I mean, I don't even know if it's the real, the, if it's reality or if it just came up in my mind. But the way I perceived things were like, when I started to engage in reading books about club culture was like in the late, in the seventies and eighties, it was all about like a DJ, a club and building this crazy sound systems. And then somehow in the nineties, it all had this like, kind of like do it yourself approach where like you just put two turntables in a room and boom, here you go. But people didn't, care so much about sound systems anymore which was the core really the core of like building clubs and club culture and dance music culture and it totally makes sense that it's so important and then in the late 90s and early 2000s all like before that no one talked about martin audio function one and all these brands and all of a sudden parties started announce like their, 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 their lineups with like including function one sound system and da 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 and all this like right, obsession sure. with sound system brands came up but still I traveled and it sounded like shit and this and because of this like because I met Daniel Wang and had a lot of talks with him I started to like I was like what changed and what was different in the beginning and then I started reading and getting into like acoustic design and so on and now closing the circle, getting back to how how these guys approached me to running a club, I was like, hey, they have money. They don't have no fucking clue what they're talking about. They have no clue about like club culture and anything. And I just put it all in one card and I said, okay, I can be your creative director from day zero, basically, from day one. And when it comes, and all I want to say now is you have to trust me. And when it comes to creative decisions, I just want to have the last word and I don't want to have any discussions. Please don't start me with like, hey, we have this friend and he's a great DJ. And <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? I was like, I want to have the last word. And they basically kept the word for like five and a half years or six years and basically i left the club straight away once they didn't keep the word and right um, right that was it so so let me ask you then um you, you were doing it in a similar way that you're doing blitz so you were booking all the parties and doing everything without any outside promoters and all that stuff the same concept it was basically exactly the same you know it's like carrie the first time carrie chandler went to to, to blitz he looked at me and was like you know, David, I didn't expect anything else from you. Um, this feels, looks and feels like Bob Beeman on steroids. And But the, basically what, what happened is like I learned a lot and I made a lot of mistakes at Bob Beeman. I mean, I always do a lot of mistakes and I try to learn from them. And when I started Blitz, I tried to think about all the things I that went well and all the things that didn't went so well and put them in, into the thinking process when creating this venue. You know, with one big difference was that I had the self-esteem to do it myself without any investors. So I didn't have, to, I never wanted to be in a position again where someone tells me, okay, but we want it different and we pay it. So um, it's our decision. Right, yeah. 
because this really hurts. So when this happened, it, it hurts, you know, because like, as I said, I do things because I really believe in them and I, so I really don't give a fuck about losing money. Yeah, I mean, when you build something like that, it becomes your, your baby, right? And then if you're kind of uh, unfortunately exposed to the whims of the money men, then yeah, it can get taken away from you and that must be pretty traumatic experience so but let me ask let me let me ask you though give me a couple of examples of some key mistakes that you made at bob beamer like some technical things the way like the dj booth was built for example i mean some of the mistakes i did back then i did a, a, it was a great dj booth but it had some flaws yeah, that's a great one and i tried to work on these flaws um uh, uh, uh when i created blitz but still i had some flaws I have some flaws now again I would not do anymore, you know. It's just little things, you know. It's like basically like as I said before, I was really getting into um um I'm really really affected by the early days of club culture, by clubs like and the music box, uh, um the Paradise Garage and so on. I read like books, watched movies and so on. So basically the way the DJ booth was built at Bob Beeman and the DJ booth um is built at Blitz. It ha it's like an homage to the classic New York discotheque DJ booth, which also incorporates that the turntables are not standing on the booth, but basically are like inside the booth, you know? It's a very complex structure, how it's built, that, that there's no feedback and so on. But you know, Blitz is a way bigger club and we like things have changed, you know. Sometimes you have lineups with four DJs and every DJ wants to play on a different setup, you know, and then and you know you're you just it's not that you have like every DJ plays on two turntables with vinyls and, and there's this one mixer, you know, you have changes with the like tech stuff all the time during a night, which makes things less flexible. So I think in the future I would kind of compromise on my ideal utopian situation just built for myself and just things like when running parties every weekend make things way more way more complex and stressful for your team and for yourself and for everyone so these are just little things you learn throughout you know or like um um, um we had this bar at bob beeman for example which was right next to the dj booth and it was it was a really small venue, as you remember. And there was this little bar on the left, you know. But I kind of never liked the vibe so much of that bar because it was right next to the booth. And people were just kind of hanging out there, you know. And it kind of like... Yeah, you want them to be dancing, right? But they're exactly, distracted by the need to have a drink. Yeah, yeah. So. and it's like I really believe... I Like I always come up with this concept of energy levels in a club. When you create spaces, you have different energy levels. And yep. I think the energy level of like bar, drinking, taking a rest interferes with the energy level of, okay, this is fucking going on. Music is playing boom, you know, it's like magic moment. So you really have to think well. And it's like, this is why at Blitz, for example, there's just no bar next to the booth, you know, or next to the dance floor. Like the dance floor is just a dance floor and just music, nothing else. 100% dance vibes. No places to sit, you know. But this is also like when I go to clubs, you know, I think when you like when the bigger part of the when a club co like 
is mainly made out of, out of a dance floor you can see this is about music you know and dancing you know when you come to a club and like you know 80 percent is seating areas and and vip areas and whatever and 20 percent is dance floor it's just not for me you know it's just not the, the uh, yeah i mean the, the 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 vip area obviously has has become a bit of a well it's something that we uh we could definitely do without right but unfortunately, I, d I don't know, I guess it's probably a key part of the economics of it. I mean, as you were saying that, I was just reminded of like the, the, the classic, uh, <laughs> the classic club misdesign designers, like putting the toilets next to the dance floor. So you have this like this steady the stream yeah, of people yeah. coming from the, like, I mean, I've just like, I've been in those a few times. Like, and you're just DJing and people just walking past. You're just like, come on, fuck's sake. But, um, okay. So uh, you mentioned, okay, the, the classic New York clubs, but I've also, um, I've also read you talking about the influence of of the Berghain as well in your thinking about clubs. Was that I mean was is that is that right? Was that a significant thing in the way you've thought about how you do your venues? Yeah, for sure, but it's you know basically every like since I walk through clubland and since I'm in this sphere walking around experiencing parties, you know, obviously there's some things you feel comfortable with and some things you don't feel so comfortable with and this this accounts for every party and club i've been to you know it's like as a 16 year old you know a 15 year old when i went to some posh places i felt uncomfortable you know i just it's and and it's i don't like i mean this it's just not my thing and i totally appreciate and respect that it's a thing for lots of other people but it's just not my thing i felt uncomfortable and on the other hand, there were other parties and clubs and so on I went to and I felt really comfortable. And um, so basically every place I've been to, I like I, I, I took something with me where I said, hey, the, the way they do it is really good. The way they do the bookings is really good. The way they do the programming is really good. The way they build residence is really good. The way they, you know, the way when you get into like the like behind the scenes of a club you know you can feel the way they treat employees is really good the way they you know and you have a bad and a good example for everything so after all those years you basically you build your own little universe of things you believe in you know what i mean it's like where you where you and, and this like and i've spent lots of lots of time at Berkheim, you know, I spent a lot of time there. Like, uh, I think I went there the first time in 2004. And since then, like, had, like, amazing, crazy parties mm -hmm. there. So, of course, yeah. this had an effect on me. Okay. So, the, the Bob Beeman thing came to an end due to, uh, by the sound of things, due to a dispute. And you felt like you had to go and do your own thing. Was, I mean, d did I hear you correctly when you said that that was always something that you had at the back of your mind? That you were going to have to do that at some point. Mm, it's that like, like I think like Bob Beeman, like the way I approached Bob Beeman was like I put all on one card, as I said before, and I was like, you know, if this goes down, you know, if this won't be the way I want it to be, I can leave after three months and just be out, and boom, that's it, and do another thing, you know, just try it out, you know, it's it's a chance to try something out, and Bob Beeman kind of hit in straight away. You know, locally, 
I mean, it took a year and so on to get things really going, but then also like kind of like in Europe and even internationally, it kind of like had really, really good reputation and everyone wanted to play there and so on. And so it started like after a year already that like people approached me and were like, hey, you have to do your own thing. You have to do your own thing. But um, I never thought of that so much, you know, and um, and also like kind of like I always had like kind of like self-esteem problems and like being always in doubt and questioning myself and so on. And, and so I never had this plan, like I have to do my thing. But after like two or three years, Bob Beeman, when like all my friends were like, hey, it's like you're getting older, you have to do your thing. Why don't you start your own thing? Um, I kind of had this idea of, hey, you know, at some point I should do my own thing and I really wanted to, I had this dream of like moving away from a 250 capacity one dance floor club where you are kind of limited in some ways as well. Like I really had this dream of creating this like little universe with like different rooms and different energy levels where people can just go in and you know escape everyday life and 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 so i had this dream of like creating like kind of like a bit bigger club with like more options and more things i can do and like because i had a lot of ideas i i couldn't just realize it bob beeman but everything was going really well so it wasn't such a concrete idea and the guys kind of like in exclamation marks left me alone and like didn't stress me with anything but it started after like three or four years when they were like then like some parties were like the turnover was not the best you know and they you know and i also felt kind of mistreated because like but this is a, on a personal level, you know, I felt like, you know, I never got a thank you or something. And I kind of had this feeling because like, and I was never owning the club. I was just, I was not even employed, you know, I was just freelancing basically and DJing, which I did my whole life. And just on the side, I ended up working 18 hours a day doing this thing like week by week and doing everything <laughs> myself basically. So, and then like after like three or four years, I started just to like talk to other people in town and express the idea of maybe uh, uh, doing something together and looking at venues. And I started to look out for venues. And then at some point after five and a half or six years, like disputes started about like uh, lineups, about the booking, about you know broadening the the uh, musical spectrum to like genres i think shouldn't like be placed at the club that i'm running and i was like you know what everything went well for five and a half years just leave out with a leave with a smile and just say okay that's it and this is exactly how i did it and i didn't have a venue that back then blitz didn't there was no venue for blitz and i was like okay that's maybe for three months you just keep on DJing and do your thing and just relax a bit after like six years of like running a venue and DJing all the time. So, and then after three months I was looking for venues and I was just lucky. Basically my partner had the idea with this venue and just ended up with this venue and I was like, okay, that's the chance now. Let's just do it. 
and my self-esteem at the time because Bob Beeman was really successful and everyone was like, hey, try it, try it, try it. And like friends talking me into it, my self-esteem was at a level or my self-confidence, I'd say, was at a level where I say, I might have a chance. Let's just try it out. Well, I mean, it does require a lot of confidence to do that kind of thing, right? Because it's a big undertaking and you're, well, especially when it's such a public facing endeavor, right? You're really putting yourself on the line with that. But let me just, let me just uh, quickly go back to Burkhan and ask a follow-up question there. How much of a thing is, uh, well, do, do you have a door policy and how sort of rigorous is it? I mean, we've talked about the door, the Burkhan door policy quite a lot on the show before and the sort of relative merits of having door policies and the different ways in which they are employed in different ways. I mean, we've talked about door policies in London and the garage scene, which are very different. And, you know, the, the different ways in which uh, a door policy can affect a venue. So, like, I mean, how much of a thing is it or has it been for your venues and, and how do you see it? Um, yes, Blitz has a door policy. <laughs> but I'd say a very open door policy. And I mean, it's just, I mean, obviously I think door policy is very important, but it's a very thin line, you know, because like, I mean, Blitz conceives itself as a um, queer gay club from day one, you know. Um, we throw lots of gay parties and the, the crowd in general is like very queer and very gay and very open. But even at Bob Beeman, and I remember I got a lot of critique at the time for my door policy at Bob Beeman, and even in the beginning of Blitz, I got a lot of critique for my door policy in the beginning at Blitz, is that, you know, my mission is to really bring people together. And I really, really believe in the healing. It sounds so, 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 so cheesy, I know, but I really, really do believe in it because I experienced it myself in the the, the the healing factor a dance floor has on, 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 on people that experience things together and on society in general. I really think this is an import, important thing. And so I think a good club should have a really, it should be a f reflection of society, you know. I want everyone at my club, you know. It's not like um, everyone who can, you know, be as tolerant to, 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 to that every person at this club can like express themselves and, and 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 just be the way they are without hurting other people and just being nice to each other but you know i i think being open-minded has to go if you're really open-minded it has to go in every direction you know there's all these like so-called underground super cool places and then you know so some some people turn up in in, in maybe a bit more posh attire and they're just not let in because their attire is too posh And I think this is as superficial and as bad as people who don't wear the right posh attire not getting into posh clubs, which I never liked about posh club. You know, I never liked when I was young and like, right, yeah. and like friends went into yeah. posh clubs and they asked me to come with them. I was like, no, because I won't get in anyway because it's just not the way I dress. I don't feel comfortable dressing that way. But like not letting... People who are maybe dressed or have the wrong attire but me too, might be a bit too posh, not letting them into, into music places, that's not the idea or shouldn't be, you know. The idea should be that like, everybody who's open to share love for music and dance together should be welcome. And uh, in the beginning of Pop Beeman and also in the beginning of Blitz, I got a lot of local critique for it because like 
you know, then there's like all these like so-called underground nerds and then there's like some guys with white shirts and so on, you know, and 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 uh, uh, at the club. So hang on a second. Sorry, just to clarify. Sorry, just to clarify. You got critique for letting too many people in. Is that what you mean? Not letting too many people in, but you you know you always have these like. You know, I mean, too too. I mean, too too a too wider spectrum of people is kind of what e I meant by exactly. That. You know, it's like because like every time you know people complain about, but this is so it's so superficial, Paul. You know what I mean? It's like it's just by the looks. But I get running a good door policy without being superficial is one of the hardest tasks, you know, because like, I mean, you're in the situation, you're a bouncer, you're at the club, there's a person in front of you and you have to make a quick decision. So obviously the visual impression of someone is, um, uh, is, is one of the first things you see, but still there are ways, you know, getting people into a quick chat, you know, to just kind of like feel a vibe. You know, if there's a vibe going on. And so I think, yes, there is a door policy at Blitz, but it's very, very open. It's just bringing the right people together, you know, that, 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 that like, and, and, and that have, like, I think it's super important to have a diverse crowd where everybody feels comfortable. And it's a hard task because you always end up with people misbehaving and people, you know, not like, uh, 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 but, but, but still. I think the, the mission should be to bring as many good, open-minded people together and experienced people together because that's the beauty of it. That's what, where I get a kick out, out of, you know, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's funny you sort of reference the... Uh, the visual thing, which is which is inevitable, right? Because like you say, like that's that's the, the first kind of information that you have on someone. But then like, of course, the, cl the classic question asked by the door person is like oh who you which dj have you come to see tonight right which is uh which is a pretty good way i think probably of of sort of uh separating people into one category or another but then but then there's there is more than that as well right because it is a sort of like a vibe that people give off and like you know some people just don't belong in a in a rave right and it's a really difficult thing to say to someone it's a really difficult job to do i think you know it must be uh very tricky to, to do it effectively it's it's a very thin line because like basically what what you promote as a and I'm, i mean they're different you know that there's like posh clubs who promote exclusivity you know but we're talking about special music places you know i think and when when it comes to these places you basically promote inclusivity and the first thing you do at the door you exclude people <laughs> <Right>. you know <laughs> which doesn't make you know it doesn't make sense you know you promote inclusivity but you know it's what it's about is that a lot of people in society can't cope with inclusivity. They can't cope with like um, 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 homosexuals kissing each other, sure. you know. So I think they won't like. It's not for them, you know. And I, I don't think it's like, you know. I, it's, it's my mission is not to to build a space for everyone, but to build a space that is laid out to the way I believe in things. And hope the right people join, you know. But it's a very thin line, you know. It's like, you know, I always have problems with our our door team, you know, because you always, it's always, I always see so many things happening where I'm like, why, why did you do it that way? Why it could, you know, it's so easy. But you know, it's 
I'm not standing there all night for like eight hours and I'm not having like people you turn away being aggressive and all, all of that, you know, it's, I think it's a really hard job and it's, it's always easy to, 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 to put criticism on people when you're not in the same situation, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, how I'm do kind you, kind of a perfectionist and it's gone. Yeah, sorry. No, well, I mean, oh, you said you're—I cool. mean, you're, you're definitely perfectionist. I think that serves you pretty well, to be honest, in the way, in the way you run stuff. But no, my my, <laughs> my, my question was going to be like, um, for people who have never been involved in the sort of back end of a club, like, how exactly do you do? How how exactly is the door run? Like, obviously, you have bouncers, but do you have? I mean, like, how is how is the door policy kind of like enforced? At a kind of you know at a kind of granny level, how do these how do these how do these situations like dealt with and who who like do you have a, like a do you have a picker as well as like separately to the to kind of like bouncers quote unquote bouncers or how does it work? Basically, we don't work with a security with a hired security team, but all the people in our security team are fully employed in our company. Which because if you work with external security companies, you know you lose control, you know, and. Basically, it's with like every single little detail when it comes to the bar, when it comes to the vibe with the, with the bounce and security team is I think you you can reach the most by talking to people, but getting them on board by making them understand what you believe in. And then obviously you, you, you hire people or you employ people where you realize, hey, they... They think so different or they just don't believe in which is totally okay but then maybe they don't fit so much and basically i think which is hard you know because there's so many little things to take into consideration when running a place like this but i think the most important thing is to talk to your team to be like to engage with them and not be like like i mean rules are important and guidelines but like i think What's my general rule is always to like if I really want to make people like understand why things are the way they are to explain it to them. And it's just it's it's the same thing. Right. It's like I have this rule I really believe in is like I think at the door there, there should never be a reason why you turn someone away. Because most of the time the reason is superficial. I think um decisions at the door are most of the time arbitrary and should be, you know, because you have this like limited time frame of maybe 20 seconds where you have to make a decision. So, um, you know, it's like you just feel the vibe or you don't, you know, but it's like when giving a reason, it's basically, it's basically you open up for, for, because like yeah, yeah, you come yeah, up, you come problem, up for some it? superficial yeah, exactly. reason which is actually not the reason but you don't know what else to say and then it's like uh, it's, it's just a yes or a no and you know and of course I could tell my staff you don't give any reason that's it that's your task but I try to explain it to them why I think it's that way and why I think it's better and why I think they just you know um um, it's it's better for them and will make things easier for them and for the club and so on and so on. So I think engaging with your team, engaging with the people, sharing your ideas, sharing your vision and also being super open for critique. I think that's also super important because as 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 much as I may have a very clear vision and idea of how things should be, I think it's really important also to listen, to listen to other people. What is their idea? Maybe I 
caught myself up in a dead end and maybe I should be open-minded enough to see, hey, there's a different perspective and maybe try to rethink things from another angle. And so... And I think this is this is this is the same things. This this is the best way to to run a door team is like to say, hey, um, like sometimes you know I, I just stand outside and watch things and make my notes. And then the week after, during the week, I contacted Doppler and was like, hey, in this moment, what, why did you make this decision? Was it really necessary? Or like you know, like just engaging in debate about things to make things better together you know i think that's 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 i think that's for me it's the best way of running things yeah i mean it's going back to that idea of building an effective team right and like this is a a significant challenge it's, i guess it's just like the challenge of managing anything effectively is i think is kind of underestimated and particularly something like this where uh the details are so important and details which are probably not they're not they're not details which the average like attendee of a party would like think about in their mind right so lots of people don't i mean going back to the sound system thing like the importance of sound systems i think everyone knows when there's good sound in the club but like for a lot of people for the casual club goer it's not at the forefront of their mind when they're picking where to go to Right, and I think having someone who uh, takes takes that as seriously as as you do, and as you know, certain there's a there's a few other people like you, not enough people like you, frankly, but but also it extends to stuff like the door policy and taking these things like seriously at a, at a level which it's not completely obvious that you should take seriously. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I think it's yeah. I think it's crucial, man. I think it's not a you know it's it's not a coincidence that you're able to come up with the results that you do when you take things this you know, take things like that as seriously as you yeah as you do. I you know it always comes back to how I experience things myself you know and it's this is what I said before it's like how, how, when when things happen and like when I go to a club somewhere else on the planet and I, some things make me feel really uncomfortable. I try to think about it. Why does it make me feel uncomfortable? So, you know, it's like, this accounts for every, as you said, for every little detail, you know, maybe at the bar, the way the, the, the bar staff interacts with you. It's like how you get into a club because like at the very end, you just want to make people happy. And it's at the very end, it's just, you know, I just try to create a space where I feel it's my living room and I welcome people to my world and just, you know, just join us on the ride that's basically the idea and as as in your own house you know you wouldn't like you know when 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 you would feel uncomfortable getting into your own apartment every single day you know you would think about okay what's the reason i'm feeling uncomfortable and try to make it as comfortable as possible for yourself and for your guests yeah absolutely so okay tell me about djing because you are a pretty uh pretty successful dj right on the international circuit, I think it's fair to say, but it seems like it's almost an afterthought from your career as a kind of club proprietor. Or I don't, how, how I don't know. How, how do you? What is your kind of job title actually? Before I ask you about DJ, how, how, how do you see yourself? Oh, it's, I really, I really have no clue what's my job title. To be honest, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't even know. If okay, it, it, it's, it's what I'm doing is a job, but. <laughs> okay. it's, I can tell you about how I conceive myself. And 
I don't conceive myself as a gastronomy guy. I don't conceive myself as a um, like super entrepreneur, club runner, whatever guy. I conceive myself mainly as a DJ. And this is where my right. Well, there you go. Okay. This is right. where my motivation. Yeah. This is this is what I'm doing since I'm 15 years old, and I f I love music. I'm a passionate music lover, and and music and sharing music with people. This is this is one of the most important things in my life. You know, this is what's driving me every single day, and this is also the exact driving force that made me. Um, made me um work on the clubs in that way because i was like okay this is i i love to share music with people and 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 and, and when i'm sharing music with people in an environment where i'm like okay the sound sucks and the vibe sucks and the crowd sucks and why am i doing this this is all bullshit you know and then you have these other experience where you say oh it's amazing and obviously when you like work on a club you try to to do it in a way that um that serves you from the music lover perspective at least in my my, my in, in my situation so everything i did was from the perspective as a dj from all the clubs that's what that's well that makes yeah, a lot of sense like, right and yeah, i yeah, think yeah. it's actually really important yeah. for clubs in general to have a dj by their side you know that that helps them to take things into incorporation or in consideration that uh, um, has a certain perspective where music is at the center of things but i mean all this blah blah sorry for that but it's just my my microcosm it's just my you know little perspective you know there's so many different approaches that are all valid and all all, all there for a reason but i'm really interested in creating music places because this is the motivation this is when i think you know it's i mean it's always when people ask you these questions you start thinking about it it's not something i think about in my everyday life you know but when you just asked me and, and when other people asked me in the past, you know, I think this comes from my conceiving myself as a DJ because this is the approach I'm doing things, you know, that like also in nightlife, I think there's so many things that it's really important for me that music is at the center of things because I think things that happen in nightlife, all this hedonism stuff and drugs and sex and, and like all these things happen they are great and they should be there and I love all of that but it should be, music should be at the center of things that brings the people together and all these other things should be sidekicks to the music. And there are certain places where like you know there are certain clubs yeah. where it's only about taking drugs you know that I conceived as drug taking communities where music is one little side player of a lot of other things which is totally okay Sure. But not so much my yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So, so yeah, tell me about your... Well, um, I mean, as you said, like, DJing is a, like a key input into what you do with the, with the venues. But tell me about your... Tell, tell me about how your kind of DJing career has sort of developed over time. Because you obviously play a lot internationally. And, I mean, obviously that's fed into everything else that you do with the venues and stuff. But just tell me about... Uh, the development of your 
playing out in uh, in essence actually right now i don't play out so much internationally this year mainly do it i didn't focus but you certainly have in the past right? i have in the past yeah it became more and more and more with every year and this year like after the pandemic it went a bit down but mainly like um i told you at the beginning of our talk that uh um uh, i just came out of hospital um i just tried to i th I, don't, i don't remember when was the last time you see me saw me but i'm a, i used to be a very heavy big guy And at the, in the pandemic, in the beginning, I was like, okay, like your nightlife for so long, being like partying every weekend. Now, what are you doing with your life now? And I kind of like changed my life habits and lost 84 kilogram, which is a lot. It's basically, I think, more than you. The, yeah, That is a lot. lot. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a huge amount. Yeah, right. And basically right now I'm going through a lot of surgeries because of all this excess skin you have when you lose so much weight and blah, blah. So this is like my after the pandemic, my main task was like to 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 um, work on my body and get Blitz back on its feet because like before the pandemic, I had a running team and I could be I I was playing like I don't know six eight eight shows a month and and then once a month at at the club and the club was going really well. But now after the pandemic, I was like okay, this club needs my full attention right now. So I was concentrating um back on the club but the thing is i never approached my djing in a career sense you know i never was like okay i, I have a yearly plan i have to uh, grow the turnover and i'm really like this like the way I, i i totally respected the way things are nowadays and also young kids approach their careers but i never like looked i never had the perspective of a career to begin with i don't it's it's not my career or something it's like i love playing music and i always had this like approach to it i love sharing it and when, when people are interested in me sharing my music with them and invite me i'll do that if i feel the context is right you know and if i feel it makes sense to do it so and this so It's really hard to say when, when, when getting asked how, this, how did this all come together and how did your career build and so on and so on. I never thought of it as a career. I was just doing my thing and more people got interested in, in, in what I'm doing. And, um, and this is what I, I think I will keep doing for the rest of my life. You know, Right now, for example, I just drew, drew back from social media entirely. You know, I just stopped doing social media like half a year ago or so just because I was like, hey, that's it's just not who I am, you know. And I was always like, I think I'm talking to so many artists in, in recent years and they're like, oh, I hate, we, we hate social media and oh, it's so much stress and I'd rather concentrate and, 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 and digging amazing music and go to the studio and stuff. But we have to do it. And I was the same. I was like, ah, social media is so much stress and I don't want to do it. It just stresses me out and da, da, da. I don't want to do it. And then, you know, during the pandemic, I asked myself so many questions. I had like, I actually also had a bad time during the pandemic. I was suffering from crazy depressions and, 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 and started to rethink my life and the way I approach things. And I was like, okay, 
everybody tells you you have to do this because it's part of of like like part of your job or like you have to do it because everyone is doing it and i was like no actually i don't you know i just do what i feel like doing and this is basically when it comes to my djing this is how i always did it you know i was like basically just doing my thing and and agreeing to things i like and disagreeing to things i don't like and take it step by step and when i think of it now after the pandemic with getting the club back on its feet i feel of it even more that way you know it's like i think we live in times where it's just about like you know more quantity than quality um i really um I'm not in line with a lot of things happening in this industry and the way things have evolved, but I'm not a complaining person, you know, it's like, you know, I think every person has the right to make their own decisions and I make mine and, but I don't, for me, it's important to be in a really beautiful environment with beautiful people and share music And as long as this happens, I don't have to push things to the max, you know. And I think this, like, pushing things to the max is one of the negative things that, like, came out, out of, or, like, are just happening in our culture. Like, also, like, with Blitz, for example, I'm trying to introduce more residents now, like, apart from the local residents, more, like, international residents, people who are regularly playing clubs and so on, because I think having kind of a residency or playing regularly at the same environment is a very beautiful thing because you connect to the crowd in a way, way, way deeper level, you know? And I think that's way more important than just, you know, like playing 15 gigs a month and you're just trusting yourself and you, you're suffering from, you have mental health issues and you have physical health issues and you just, and, and the creative side of it like goes down and down and down and down because you just end up going from club to club to club to club, playing for two hours, playing the same set and so on. And I think that's, um, it, 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 it it's it's not the way i want I, i want things to be for myself you know so um yeah absolutely i mean that kind of uh reminds me of i mean actually the set that i played at, at blitz the other week with which was a warm-up set and one of the things well that's that's kind of been a a much discussed topic not just on the show but on social media and how how people approach so it's stuff like warm-up DJ, warm-up DJ sets, which are, I guess, a part of that kind of sort of club lineage. And you mentioned, you know, not being completely in line with some of the developments that have kind of gone down in the industry. And that absolutely resonates <laughs> with me too. And I don't want to start moaning about it. And I don't want to start moaning about stuff. And, you know, I, I, like you, do my absolute best to kind of stay positive and to kind of concentrate on what I'm doing as opposed to you know not liking what other people are doing which can it's, it's a very easy thing easy trap to fall into very easy trap But, and all, yeah yeah for sure right <laughs> yeah and um yeah I mean the, the, the warm-up set is um is something that I, I really feel strongly about you know when I'm talking to people where you know so, like young people were signed to the label and that kind of stuff I'm just like you're trying to make those points I, I do think it's important that kind of that kind of thing 
You know, I think it's an important, there are because important lessons that people it, should learn. It always depends on the perspective, Paul. Like if you approach a career from, okay, we have to build, build this brand and we have to like uh, grow as fast as possible and, and cr um, 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 bring up the turnover and more money and more shows and more credible shows and more this and that. From this perspective... A warm-up set is like, hey, it's just a warm-up set. You know why it's like da-da-da. But, you know, from a musical creative perspective, I think if I'm getting asked to play a warm-up at a club, it's such a huge and big responsibility. And not everyone is good in playing warm-ups. It takes really skills as a DJ to play a warm-up. And... So I think if, if if a club asks me to do a warm up, I think I feel, you know, I feel treated with really respect that they think, hey, they they trust me with this really important set, and I also like playing this. Um, um, but this is exactly what I meant, you know. It's just I'm not in line with like, you know. It's just I'm I'm like as a programmer, I put lineups together and I entrust people with a warm up, and I think. For me, it's 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 putting someone on a warm up. It's it's showing respect to an artist, you know, that I really entrust you with this, because I've seen things gone utterly wrong at the warm up, you know. So, <laughs> right, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, of course, and 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 I think it's like, I don't know, it's like. This is what I mean where, where, where I say I'm not in line. It, sh it should be about music. And I mean, maybe I'm too idealist or maybe I'm just kind of dreamer. And I mean, obviously, it's a lot about money and success and all that. But as we both agreed on, you know, it's like I don't want to focus on things I don't like. I, th I, f I try to focus on the things I like and, and that motivate me. And and and. I think it's also like it's 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 the same with residents, you know. I think the residents are the the DJs who know the club the, the best, you know. And it's it's also like to have residents who only play the warm up. It was actually also like a thing you asked me before what I realized was like kind of a problem at Bob Beeman, you know, but at Bob Beeman there was basically it was a smaller club and way smaller lineups, but there was always the resident doing the warm up and then the the guest doing the doing the um, um, peak time and then a resident again doing the closing you know and at blitz i try to mess around with that you know to think in music like not think in terms the guest has to do the um, uh, peak time just by definition i was like what's in terms of like dramaturgy or in terms of like mu like when you think about the music what Artist makes the most sense at what time of the night for this specific night. And this should be the driving force. I think that's the that's the way that that should be the way to approach things. And this is how we're doing it at Blitz. So sometimes the, the resident plays the peak time and sometimes the guest plays the closing or the opening, you know. For every single night we try to come up with the best possible running order you know but you always have then these discussions with agencies and you know and they even bring up this respect thing you know it's so disrespectful too like and 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 then you're like okay i see it the, all the other way around i see it's a matter of respect you know so but uh, um yeah it's uh i think this warm-up thing is like it's also you know you know how it is paul 
when you ask all the DJs, they will say exactly the thing that I'm saying now. The warm-up is the most important set, you know, and it's like, yeah, and you have to be skilled. <laughs> but when it comes to playing it, they're like, yeah, no, I'd rather do peak time, you know? I'd rather get all the credits for being the, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and this is like to close the yeah. circle but you asked me about me how i like me and my dj profile and what what of that i really don't give a flying fuck about my profile about my career what people think how big he is how small he is what prestigious gigs he played i like i mean i maybe did care a little bit about that when i was younger but i really really don't care i, I care about playing good music and i mean i'm a really i have to say i'm in a really lucky position because i de don't depend on my DJing, you know, my livelihood doesn't depend on it. But I made this decision when I was 19 years old. I never wanted to depend on it. I never wanted, I always yeah. wanted to have the freedom to just do what I feel like. And I feel really comfortable in the position I am. And I think that's the, at the very end, that's the most important thing that you can look at. And, and it's like one million people, one million perspectives just for my little single perspective i just feel comfortable the way it is and this is the more most important thing you know yeah yeah 100 man 100 i mean i don't think um well i mean you, you said uh that you're conscious of sounding like an idealist and i think i mean and maybe to some people that would be the case but i think there should be more idealists in this area of music you know i think that there's so you know but there's room for a lot more of these kinds of attitudes and i think you know the industry generally would be well served with a bit more of this attitude so um yeah this has been awesome man just, just before we go one last question give me when we talked about the bokine and the influence like what are your other favorite venues around the world or venues that have been influential on you that you've uh, experienced um i mean there's so many i mean a club i really liked and the sound system I really liked. And when this club was kicking off, it was kicking off big time, was Trau in Amsterdam. I really, really liked yeah, that club. Yeah. And I really liked that sound system. And it was really, um, it was like a really special vibe in there. And then um, there was a club, it doesn't exist anymore. It actually got bombed in a terrorist attack. But um, I think at the time it was one of the best clubs in the world. It was like actually pacha <laughs> pacha in tel aviv right um it was like right. you could think of like okay pacha is maybe like so different from their approach the super vip and these areas and that but pacha in tel aviv at the time i mean i was there when i was like 15 years old or 16 years old they had this like crazy dance floor outside open and dance floor on the rocks at the ocean and they had a really think natural effects like natural light like sunlight like at panorama bar for example you have like sunlight coming in is like really a good add-on to like light and sound and so on if you have like nature being part of the whole thing and at this like pacha and tel aviv thing it was like the dance floor was outside and built basically on the rocks and when you had huge waves coming in splashing down on the rocks you had like water splashing on the dance floor and people went mental wow mental 
and they had wow, to that's crazy. yeah it was okay. just was like and i was i, I just remember <laughs> i was like 15 years old and i think danny tenaglia was playing and in, in like open air and, and this really amazing <laughs> okay. sound system and i was like what the fuck is going on and i was super high and 15 years old and in this uh, but this is some moment i will never forget and then there's like i don't know there's some dance floors where i feel like everything is I mean, for example, Amnesia and Ibiza, you know, it's like the way they, they do things. I mean, it's hard for like, a, like I don't know, 8,000 or 10,000 capacity club, you know, like super club, you know, to um, uh, to not be commercial in some ways. And there's so many things the club is doing, you know, I'm not in line with like selling water for 16 euros and so on, you know, <laughs> for yeah, it's right. like there's yeah. so many things like I, I'm, I'm sure so many things will say, okay, like we didn't expect like you to come up with this example now but to be honest i think every every like music lover or dance music lover who has been at amnesia on, at the terrace when like vibes are kicking in big time on the sound system with this roof it's like yeah it, it can be mental out of control i totally agree it's one of my favorite clubs absolutely it's actually it's the way amazing. it's built the physics in terms of the way it's out the way it sounds the way it feels the way it's built i think the, the terrace at amnesia is one of the best dance floors on the planet um yeah 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 but i, totally agree. I could go on and go on and go on about like um, um lots of great <laughs> dance floors you know it's like i think it's and, and and some of them are so different like robert johnson you know it's like such a small 200 capacity venue but when the vibe kicks in there it's also like magic you know but i think it's most of these clubs have the same little little secrets and this is what i try to learn and put into the way i build spaces most of them like yeah. consist mainly of a big dance floor so 90% of the, the area in the club is dance floor, have a massive crazy sound mm. system and just a DJ booth like kind of like inside the crowd where it's like not too high and too far away. You know? It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, basically, it's very... Yeah, it's, it's, it's not too difficult, is yeah, it really? Yeah, <laughs> basically, I mean, of course, there's millions of little things we can talk about and energy levels and drink and door policy, but at the very end, it's just a massive dance floor, a massive sound system, and a good crowd you don't even need you know you saw like clubs like i mean i never experienced the club i'm way too young and so on but at paradise garage they didn't even sell alcohol but it was just about the music and dancing and i truly believe in that if that is right you will always find people who want who want to jump or jump on board and, and and feel what's happening yeah absolutely man well this has been awesome thanks so much for doing it it's been great and may it was really nice chatting to you paul thank you so much That was David Mualem. What an interesting conversation. He's someone, as I said at the top, that just thinks quite deeply about the design of clubs and the experience, I think, of going to a club. And the little details like warm-up sets, like getting the layout right, getting the layout right, like the sound system and the acoustics as well. Everyone talks about sound systems, but acoustics is so key maybe even more important to be honest than the actual system. Cause I mean, yeah, systems are systems, right? And the acoustics in a room are just, yeah, fundamental to how sound sounds. So that's pretty obvious. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I love that conversation. He's a great guy and yeah, I've always enjoyed playing for him. 
and I've always enjoyed his DJ sets too. So yeah, good episodes. Good solid 49th episode of a Not A Diving podcast. The big 5-0 coming next week. Okay, I had a really long intro, didn't I? So let's just cut this one right here. If you're not doing Patreon, well, you could do if you wanted to. Patreon.com slash scuba official if you want to support us in a direct way. If you don't do that though, then just leave us a review or a rating, follow the Spotify playlist and join us on my Discord, hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord. And I'll see you same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.